Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. And now a few words from Tony Romanucci about how Preferred Capital Funding has helped him, his clients, and his firm. Thanks, Jason. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many ways Preferred Capital Funding has helped our clients. But most recently, in a shining example of what preferred capital can do for our clients is after a significant jury verdict in Cook County last year, preferred capital was right there to help these people out with the needs that they that they had the most. And that was helping them buy new vehicles, help them with their housing, help them with their daily living expenses, which even included food. Ultimately, the case wound up settling during the time frame that preferred capital was funding them. And that's just one of the many examples in which PCL is so vital and integral to our practice. Today, the Result Podcast is happy to welcome attorney Greg Booth of Myers and Flowers, located in Chicago, Illinois. Over his more than a decade of experience, Greg has awarded tens of millions in disability benefits and settlements to his clients. Greg has been selected to the National Trial Lawyer 40 Under 40 in 2019 and was named an emerging leader by leading lawyers, a distinction only given to 2.5% of all attorneys practicing in Illinois. Greg is also the first workers' compensation attorney that the result uh, is happy to welcome. Greg, with that, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jason. Thanks a lot for having me on. Well, as we do in every episode, let's start at the end. What was the monetary result of the case we will be discussing today? This was a workers' compensation claim that settled for $1,065,000. Walk us through the case. Yeah, this was a, uh, a, a pretty unique case. Uh, it involved a work-related incident that occurred um, all the way back in 2013 in Russia. Uh, it's not often that we deal with international workers' compensation claims, but our client uh, was a traveling employee uh, under the Illinois Workers' Compensation Act. And um, on the date of the accident, she was uh, 38 years old and was a marketing, uh, worked in marketing for an international company that was involved in the planning of the uh, Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia. Unfortunately for my client, she was, she was brutally attacked uh, at the hotel where she was staying in Russia and suffered uh, physical and mental trauma as a result of, of the assault. Um, and, and as you can imagine, it was not very easy for her to get much help in Russia. Um, mm-hmm. Police had no interest in the case. Um, she couldn't speak the language. Um, there was a, an aspect where she had a loss of consciousness. Uh, and so um, quite, quite a bit of difficulty getting anything done and, and Really, her intention was just to get back to the United States as quickly as possible, but it, it took a few days to do that. Um, she was actually even afraid to even say too much because of the fear that she wouldn't be able to leave the country or that an investigation um, would somehow prevent her from being able to leave. So uh, she and, and certainly the medical care aspect was was also a concern. So she did everything she could to get home as quickly as possible. But this was a it, it's it was an extremely traumatic event. It, it affected her psychological stability and and coping mechanisms and and ability to even perform everyday ta- uh, you know tasks of everyday living, uh, and and prevented her from going back to work. Uh, so she she had you know nightmares and panic attacks and um, was unable to be in large crowds, but also afraid to be alone and and 
you know, uh, went into some depression and uh, disassociative episodes and fugue states and, and ultimately was diagnosed with the worst case of, of PTSD that, that I certainly had ever encountered. And, and sadly, uh, her treating physicians and even the, uh, the IME examiners for the insurance company also agreed. Is this the first international involved comp case you dealt with? You know, I've had a couple other uh, situations, uh, you know, minor cases, you know, with slip and falls and while on a work trip in Mexico or that sort of thing. But certainly um, to this extent, uh, dealing with an international claim, this was by far the, the largest case that we've ever dealt with. Give me a little bit on how you approached this when it first came to you. So when this case came in, it, there were certainly some some challenges to it in in terms of the type of case and and what we were going to be dealing with it this mental health cases are difficult cases because it's not something that we can identify on an x-ray or an mri we, we can't look at a picture and see a broken bone or a herniated disc or a torn ligament uh, it's a mental it's a mental trauma and so that's sometimes hard for people to understand who aren't living in the shoes of of the injured person who's suffering um, so our, our goal from the beginning was really to get an understanding of the, of the medical care um, and to jump right into her medical treatment um, with her doctors and figure out what it is that they've diagnosed her with, what the recommendations were, and then really to, to get a, a better understanding on her diagnosis, the, the medications that were involved. Um, these, these are things that workers' compensation and, and personal injury attorneys don't typically deal with on a, on a regular basis. So there was a lot of education on the, the medicine itself. How did the defense approach it? The defense um, took the approach of, let's just send her for IMEs um, or you know, independent medical exams in Illinois. They're, they're Section 12 examinations. I lost track. I, I, I think it was about six or seven that they sent her to. Um, the first one they sent her to, they, they really didn't like the opinion of, um, and so they just kept trying, uh, and again and again until they would eventually, what they thought was get the opinion they liked, but, but that never happened. Um, you know, I, I think they thought this was a case where she'll get better, she'll get back to work, um, or, you know, we'll find a doctor who's willing to say that she's okay and, and would release her back to work. But again, that, that never came about, um, you know, she was diagnosed with severe acute post-traumatic stress disorder. And the, the Section 12 examiners, you know, stated that her prognosis was very guarded. Um, you know, as time went on from the incident, years later, um, she continued to have problems, continued to regress, um, and, and never really achieved her previous levels of, of functioning. And, you know, what, what I think really frustrated the defense was that the all the doctors that she saw, everyone that she was examined by, agreed with the treating physician. And to to at one point, one of the doctors even stated that under no circumstances should the relationship with uh, the treating physician be broken. In that he he has a uh, a trust with the patient uh, that is very important to her recovery. And this was key to the case because the, the carrier did not want to keep paying for treatment and, and for very expensive medications. Um, and so, you know, this doctor at times would not be getting paid. 
Um, but he would continue to treat her. And we had to file multiple motions for emergency hearings to get his bill paid. Um, and, and ultimately, the defense sort of buried themselves by continuing to send her to IMEs. Each time the report would come back saying she can't work, she needed more treatment, she needed continued medication. Um, and at one point, one of the doctors actually put in the report that the insurance carrier's failure to pay the treating doctor was causing unnecessary stress on my client for uh, and fear that she wouldn't be able to get the treatment that she needed. Um, and, and in one of the, the final IME reports, a, a forensic psychiatrist noted that them continuing to send the petitioner for IMEs and replaying the events um, to strangers and, and, and even though they're doctors, but to people she didn't know was actually causing a regression in her treatment. And so, you know, through the treatment records, you'd see a pattern where it would take her then six months to get back to, to, to being back on track, and then they'd send her for another IME. And so, you know, ultimately, it was on us to go on the offensive and, and get the case ready for trial. And, and um, to do that, we had to, you know, get, get the medications in order, um, get the opinions from the treater. We stipulated to all of the Section 12 reports. There was nothing in there that was going to hurt us. And so we said, let's just do this. We don't need depositions. Um, and at that point, they they finally came to the table and said, you know, we need to get this get this resolved. In a case that is as unique as this one is, and it's also falls into the arena of workers' compensation, when you're dealing with a case where a lot of the damages are psychological, how do you value how do you put a number on the case when you start out? Yeah, that's that's a that's a very very difficult uh, thing to do, and um, you know we've we've handled other what I would call you know PTSD or, or mental trauma cases, um, and and those are different, right? I mean, I've handled cases where you know you have concussions or um, you know a police officer is involved in a shooting or you know a tragic event where someone injures or kills someone in, in an accident. And, and certainly mental health is, is a serious issue and, and can be debilitating. But most of those cases, um, the, the workers return to work and, and they return to their job. And, and so those can be very difficult to say, well, on a, a you know, percentage of a person as a whole, what is, what is this claim worth? In this situation, we really didn't get into those numbers um, because there was there was no, at the end, there's really no defense or dispute that uh, my client wasn't going back to work. Um, everyone indicated that, that she couldn't work. Um, there were some opinions that down the road, perhaps she could do some volunteer work or, or um, work in some capacity, but at the moment, there was just no way for her to do that. Um, and so really what we were looking at is uh, whether or not this was a, a permanent total disability case or, or certainly a very, very high wage differential um, claim due to her age and, and her earnings. Um, and so that's what we based our negotiations on was we never really viewed this from a, uh, a permanency standpoint in terms of a percentage loss of use, but rather uh, our goal was to prove that this was, uh, you know, a perm total, a permanent total disability. Uh, and so the defense finally did come to to the table after multiple IMEs agreeing with that with that uh, stance and 
and did come up with uh, a significant amount of money to uh, resolve the case. How close to trial did you come? Uh, we had our, our motion filed and we had a trial date set. So, um, you know, we, we had all of our exhibits in order. We were ready to go. Um, one of the things that really helped the case was I spent hours with the treating physician and, and he was super cooperative. Um, but we sat down and we went through the medications that um, my client was taking. And, and the defense couldn't understand why specific medications were needed and specific um, drugs that cost thousands and thousands of dollars a month were being prescribed. And he actually sat down and went through each drug individually as to why it's being prescribed, the dosage that's being prescribed, why a generic version or a different uh, brand was not appropriate or why it hadn't worked in the past. And, and by doing that, it helped the defense, uh, as well as myself, understand why these medications were needed. The, what part of the hangup on the defense was um, a huge uh, future medical allocation that was going to be required. And it came back over $400,000 in future medicine and, and treatment. And so uh, by doing that, we were able to get them to understand that aspect of the case. Um, and then the other aspect was just running the numbers in terms of a, um, a present cash value of, of a permanent total or, or wage differential claim. Um, there was a slight uh, discount provided to the defendant so that my client could receive that in a lump sum. Uh, versus a weekly award for for many many years, and so both sides were able to to finally come to an agreement on that. Uh, for those that may not be aware, can you kind of walk us through the difference between the partial total and the wage differential? Yeah, so uh, a, a permanent total case is uh, essentially a finding that um, there's there's two ways to have that, which is a medical permanent total or an odd lot permanent total. Uh, my position that was my my client was a medical permanent total, meaning the doctors were not allowing her or or releasing her to go back to work. An odd lot permanent total is where uh, the petitioner could potentially do some sort of work, but the job market um, doesn't necessarily support that, uh, whether there's restrictions or advanced age or whatever it might be. Um, the wage differential aspect is is really where the petitioner is able to work, but due to the difference in the wages that they were making prior to the accident versus what they could make now um, is substantial and would be calculated out over the course of the rest of their, their work life expectancy to, to age 67. So um, in this situation, both of those numbers, whether a, a wage differential or a permanent total were, were significant numbers for the petitioner um, and by calculating those out and providing those to the defense, it, it showed their exposure in this claim should we pursue to trial. Um, but for my client, the, the biggest thing that she wanted was to be able to to get that payment up front as as a uh, a lump sum and not have to receive a weekly wage differential check or, or permanent total check. So um, and, and there were also some medical aspects to that as well. Her, her own doctor um, agreed with her that it would be beneficial to resolve the litigation so that she could focus on her treatment and, and move forward with her life. Well, as we wrap this up, but the question I always like to ask on every episode is what is something that you learned or took from this case that you could share with our other attorney listeners that you believe is kind of a tangible thing? 
for them to take and perhaps apply to their own practices and or cases? You know, the biggest part of this case was was the actual mental health um, issues that were involved. And um, with her PTSD, it, it was very real. And, and no doctor ever hinted at any malingering or faking of her condition. Um, you know, this was this was a scenario where um, the treatment was necessary and, and couldn't be overlooked or, or underestimated. And so, um, you know, with, whenever you have a client that has a, a, a mental health claim, it's crucial that they have good professional medical care and a doctor who is understanding of their condition, as well as someone that they feel comfortable with and, and trust, because um, the doctors really are, are very important in everyone understanding uh, the severity of these of these injuries. Greg, I really appreciate you taking the time to, and this is uh, one of the more unique cases we've had on here. So thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I really appreciate you having me.